Alright, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Does everyone have a note sheet? Yeah. Does anyone not have a note sheet? Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's pray, and we will get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to uh, talk about your gospel, the good news of your grace to us, something that we certainly do not deserve, but that you have given to us um, at great cost to yourself and no cost to us. Thank you that you are a merciful God, that you withheld the judgment that we deserve and have given us your Son, the gift of eternal life, the ability to enjoy that eternal life already, um, and we will fully and finally um, enjoy that when your Son returns. I pray that you would help us tonight as we discuss your gospel and what it means to be saved and what's necessary to understand to be saved, that you would help us to be engaged, that you would give me the wisdom to lead the discussion well, that you would give all of us um, the ability to uh, contribute to the discussion, to think carefully, to think critically, so that we can come uh, to grips with what we need to as we move through this material. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, would someone be willing to share their testimony that they wrote out this past week? I promise I will cut you off in five minutes if you go longer. We don't have tons of time. I can do it, but I didn't write it. Okay, go for it. And, uh, by the way, last week, or this will be, I hope, the last week where you have to say your names. Okay? I think I've got everyone, but just in case. So, go for it. Can I have to get up there? No, no. Just I was just saying, say your name. Oh. This will be the last week we do that. We'll... Song and dance, and then. Okay, my name's Linda D. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go for it. Okay, my testimony um, to the board is: um, I used to go to another church before I came to CBC, and um, I went there for 20 years. And I don't know if I was immature and I wasn't ready to accept it. Because whatever the pastors were teaching, I just couldn't absorb it. So I don't know if I wasn't ready then or, you know, I didn't. One of the pastors changed, and that made a decision for me to leave the church. And, um, I should have really known. Um, Anyway, I went to the church for 20 years, and then they had pastoral changes. And when they had the pastoral changes, that's when I I just couldn't get anything from him. The other two pastors they had, I was doing okay with. But still, not as good as when I came to CBC. So I left the church, and it was about three years before I found CBC. Um, I went to a couple different churches, and they just worked for me. And I was driving around one day, and um, praying to God, I need a church, please help me. And it's like, God, 
took the steering wheel and just turned me around because I was in this area. And so I came down by Benton and because my children went to this school. So I came down to this um, church and I thought nobody's going to be there on um, a weekday, you know. But I thought, I'll try. Well, there was one van there. And they, there, there was three people walking out when I pulled up. And they talked to me, and they took me into the church, told me everything about the church. And just talking to them, there were three, I really don't want to use names, but they were the best three people you could have met to learn about this church. And I felt the love as soon as I walked to the door and they started explaining things. So coming to this church has helped me immensely. I still have a lot to learn because I used to be a Lutheran, so this is all different for me. Not totally, but they have a different way of teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, But I still have learned more here than I ever did in 20 years at the ch- church that I used to go to. And so I feel I am so much closer to God here than I've ever been in my life. All right, next week, will somebody else, so just be ready. Maybe if you didn't write it down the first week, you can take some time this next week. But I'll give you plenty of homework, so you might not have time. All right, let's quickly review. Try to not use your notes, but I'm not going to be so arrogant to think that you would actually remember my eloquent definitions from last week right off the top of your head. So conversion is what? How did we define conversion? What? Abandoning our sin and embracing God's grace. Okay, what was the very first part that even preceded the... Abandoning ourselves in sin and embracing God and His grace. The, the the core concept behind the topic of conversion. Change. It's a change of heart, right? Yeah. And what were the two main components of biblical conversion? There was the abandoning self and sin we call that. What? Repentance. Repentance and the embracing God and His grace was faith. faith, saving faith. And we talked about it's not enough to just have the facts, to even say, yep, I'm a sinner and agree. It has to move beyond the facts. It has to move even beyond the personal agreement that I'm a sinner and that I need you, or God's grace. But it has to move to the place where it becomes actual in our lives, where we make a decision to abandon ourselves and our sin and a decision to wholeheartedly trust God's grace. So we ended up defining repentance and saving faith this way. Repentance is genuine confession of and commitment to abandon my sin. And then saving faith was unreserved trust in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on my behalf. And then the key... No, I shouldn't say the key, but something that is very important that we'll discuss tonight is the very last part, as revealed by God in the Scriptures. As revealed by God in the Scriptures. And then we talked about that repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. 
that you can't separate those things out, right? And say, well, when um, it says in Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that belief isn't separate from repentance. Our, our belief is a repentant sort of belief, right? And our repentance is a believing sort of repentance. They're two sides of the same coin. They're, they're always existing together when you come to Christ in conversion. And so I cited Wayne Grudem, who said, When we turn to Christ for salvation from our sins, we are simultaneously turning away from the sin that we are trusting Christ to save us from. All right, so that moves us on to your sheet, uh, your notes for today. And our goal for discussion number two is this, to discover the essential message of the gospel. To discover the essential message of the gospel. And I'm going to confess, this is going to be an interesting class if you are engaged, if you are willing to participate. Because there's less questions, but I think that some of the questions could be very... It will just be very interesting to see how we all work together to come to an answer to it. So my first question for you tonight is this. What are some terms commonly associated with the gospel? What are some terms that are commonly associated with the gospel? Good news. Okay, good news. You can pull out scripture. Think of Nicodemus or something like that. Born again. Born again. I'm sorry, I'm not following my own rule. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm Linda. Yes, okay. okay. She said born again. Welcome. Grab one of you, please. So born again. There's lots of others. Maybe even think in theological terms. Soteriology. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking like regeneration, reconciliation. What else? Repentance. Okay, repentance. Justification. Justification. Names. Good. Told you, this is the last class we're going to do. Nope, but that's a good one. I'm not trying to trick you, I promise, okay? I'm not trying to trick you. It is possible to have a wrong answer, though. But, mercy? Redemption? Yes. What about uh, Romans 8? Um, those he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies, right? I mean, there's this chain. Anything else? How about uh, Galatians 4? I think it's Galatians 4, Romans, I don't know what chapter, maybe Romans 8 again, where it talks about we can cry out, Abba, Father. So what is that assuming if God is becoming our Father? Theological term. We are being blank into his family. 
We are being adopted, right? The cross. Regeneration. Does anyone know what regeneration is? Again, I'm not tricking anybody. Dana, what were you going to say? To be, to be born again. Okay, to be born again. To regenerate, to new life, right? To be born again. Now, were you going to say something? Okay. Let me. Maybe I could describe it this way. The gospel is a multifaceted diamond. It is like a multifaceted diamond that we can continually turn to admire its intricate beauty. The gospel is like a multifaceted diamond that we can continually turn to admire its intricate beauty. Right? Because... We can look at it from one angle, and we can look at it, let's say, from our vantage point. We think about repentance and faith. We can look at it from another vantage point. We can think about predestination and election and foreknowledge. And we can turn it another way and look at adoption and redemption. And we can look at it another way and, and see substitution and atonement, right? We can look at all of these different facets, and we get... a uh, an amazing picture of God's beauty and His grace. And while all those things are true of the gospel, an understanding of all those things is not necessary to come to a place where you believe the gospel, right? I mean, because there's a good chance that none of us... By the way, make yourself comfortable here. (laughs) There's a good chance that none of us understood the full idea of redemption, right? That there's this, or, or, or uh, justification, where there's, there's this great exchange for Christ's righteousness, for our righteousness, and He bore our wrath that we deserve, right? Not, none of us fully understood that. And none of us really do fully understand that, right? So my question that where we're going to spend the most of our time tonight, I think, and why I have this up here, is that I would like to consider this question And it's this, what is essential to understand in order to be saved? What is essential, absolutely essential, to understand in order to be saved? And I have one more caveat to that question. So what is essential to understand in order to be saved? And here's my caveat, you don't have to write this part down. But if Pete and I were talking... We're adults. We have some measure of, of, of Christian, Christian background. So we can talk with certain terms, right? But think about it this way. What if you were explaining it to a six-year-old child? That kind of dumbs it down a little bit, right? So what we're looking for is what is the lowest common denominator? And I'm not in any way trying to be disrespectful to the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? I'm not trying to strip it from important, important truths, but I'm wondering, so if you're out sharing the gospel with a six-year-old child, your grandchild, or your, your own child, what do they have to get in order to understand the gospel, in order to become a Christian? So, that's my question. Let's tease it out. Go for it. Okay? 
Okay. They can be saved by Jesus. Okay. They can't be cut out. Okay. That, that Jesus is God's son. You know, this is incorrect. But uh, that Jesus is God's son and he came to redeem us. Okay. So would a six-year-old understand what redemption is? Is it absolutely necessary? It came to save us. Okay. Okay. Oh, can't spell substitution. Right? Is that right? Got it right. I think I typed it a little more something. I actually did. There's a text of scripture that um, was in your notebook this week. I believe. I believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That text says this. If I can find it. It says, For I deliver to you, this is Paul speaking, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Do you think that that verse says anything about what is essential to the gospel? The answer is yes. So what does it say? Okay, so we got the center part. Okay, so we'd say by Jesus... Okay. Okay. We died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised. According to the scriptures. He says something in there twice that's very important. What does he say in that in those two verses twice? According to the scriptures. Why do you think that's important? Okay. Okay, fulfilled prophecy. That's I, I think that's definitely part of it. Now, six-year-old probably not can get that, but yeah. How are you going to believe in Jesus if you haven't first believed that what God has said in His Word is right? That's why in my definition of faith, I tried to be careful that at the very end I said, as revealed by God in the scripture. Because the reality is is that we are are never going to believe in the truth of Jesus' life, death, 
and resurrection if we do not first believe that God has revealed himself in his word. Now, there's a whole slew of ramifications and things that you, got, you would want to believe about God's word, right? We're not going to believe what anything about Jesus if we don't first believe the God who's revealed Jesus. And that's, I think, really, really important. Because God's behind this whole thing with his master plan that he's working out, and, and we have to believe what he says. So let me give you, uh, well, let's keep going. What else could we could we say? What are what maybe let me put it this way, we've got the clear things from First Corinthians fifteen. What are some of the implications? So if we're gonna say for instance, Christ died for our sins. Well what is this how, how do we even know what a sin is? Who who calls the shots as to my my behavior is sinful or obedient? Like how do we even understand the concept of disobedience? We have to have what? Well, we have to have the law. We have to have some standard of right. But where do we get the standard of right? Okay, we get it from the scriptures, but where did we get the scriptures? Right? We got it from God. So there has to be some measure of implied here is a measure of accountability. Right? So there's this God that is implied in this text that we have rebelled against, we have sinned against. So that would be one implication. We could see the other is that, okay, well, we exist and we have sinned. We see Jesus Christ coming. So what are we supposed to do with it? So Paul just says, well, as a matter of first importance, I deliver to you this good news that Jesus died for your sins and then he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Well, what are you supposed to do with that? And he doesn't say it here, right? Rejoice. Would well, you want something as simple as reading your Bible? But I also think it's a personal relationship. I don't know if we even talked about that. But you can't just say, I believe there's a God. It's got to be a personal relationship that you have with Him. It goes back to what we talked about last week, right? There has to be a response to the gospel, right? And that's what we talked about last week. Our response is repentance and faith. God holds us accountable to repent of our sins and, and trust um, unreservedly in the work of Christ. So let me give you um, five hooks or five buckets to stick information into, and then we're going to walk through and discuss each of them. Um, and I wish I came up with these five buckets, but I didn't. Mark Dever, in his book called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, is the one who um, I originally got this the, the five buckets from they are God man and sin Jesus Christ response and promise so there's there's God man and sin Jesus Christ response and promise There's God, man and sin, Jesus Christ, response and promise. One of the just 
kind of odd things that I like about this is that you can just tick them off right in your on your hand. Five fingers, five things, and when you're sharing the gospel, you can kind of almost be standing there, okay, God, you got your thumb, right? And you just talk about God, man and sin, Jesus Christ, response, promise. And it's just almost like a good reminder you have right there literally in your hand where you can go and communicate the truth of the gospel to somebody. So let's talk about these five buckets or these five hooks that we can um, attach things to and really try to uh, hone in on what is essential. If these things are are, our framework for determining what's essential, what is essential about God? So you're talking to your six-year-old. What does that six-year-old need to know about God to contribute to his... His salvation. Never changes. What? He never changes. Why do you think that is absolutely essential? I mean, we all agree he's immutable. He doesn't change. I mean, just to know that you put your trust in him today, ten years from now, it's still going to be the same one you put. Trust him. You know, okay. He's yeah. not going to change his mind. So he's faithful. Well, you got to do more. Or something, you know? Okay. Yeah. It's not going to require something different. Yeah. Okay. He's perfect. Okay. I think I think that's a a cardinal one that we can't get around, right? That God is holy. I'm using sometimes bigger words up here for sake of uh, being concise in the notes, but immutable means unchanging. He can't be mutated. So he's the creator. Is that absolutely essential? Bare bones, most common denominator of the gospel is your child. You need to understand that God is their creator to be saved. But I will say, I will say though, and I think it's really helpful because it, it, and and you'll understand that as we go through why I think that's helpful. But I think it, for me, as I as I talk to and I interact with Caden, who is our five-year-old, I have been for a long time now trying to set the stage by explaining to him that God is creator. But I'm try- I've been very intentional even now that he goes to school and I pray with him every- most mornings when I drive him to school. I'm-, I'm constantly trying to remind him, hey, God is our creator. Look at that beautiful sunrise. God is our creator. Isn't that awesome? We must obey our creator. He gets to call the shots. And in and- and trying to set him up because... He needs to understand that there's accountability, there's this authority structure, and God is at the top of that. No one supersedes God. So I think the Creator is a a very, very important thing. I don't know if it's absolutely essential, but I think it's important. Anything else about God? Well, I teach kindergarten and first grade, so I always remind them, not every week, but most of the week, that most important thing, that Christ died for our sins on the cross, and they always remember that. So... 
So we would put that down here under Jesus Christ. So we got God is holy, God is unchanging, God is creator. What about man and sin? Well, does anyone have anything else? Can I add one more? Maybe. Protect. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, good enough. <laughs> Protect. He's our, God's our, if I were explaining it to I would, a six-year-old, I would say, he's our protector. Okay. But ultimately, through Jesus, it's God's our protector. Is that absolutely essential for them to understand? What about Father? Because the Father is a protector. I was also going to say he's loving. Also, Father with discipline. All that. This list is getting long. Then my five-year-old is going to have to figure out. Just, I'm just throwing that out there. Our list is getting big. Before you go into man, what are you looking for? You asking me? What's the answer? You're, you're, you're doing well. I'm not. I'm not giving you my answer yet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. As we're we're working through it. I mean, I have my answer, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. Will you, will you tell us what yours is? Maybe. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll wrap it all. I'll weave it all together and tell you how I, how I would think through it in the most elementary level. But it won't. I would take away the word sovereign. What? From the elementary level, I would take the word sovereign. But I think that's, that's embedded in the idea of creator. Because God is our, He is the sovereign creator, right? If He's the creator, He is the sovereign. He's the one in charge of everything. So man and sin, what is essential to know or to acknowledge about us? We're all sinners. Okay. feel like we all come short. When I think of that verse, that we all come short, you know, the glory of God, but... We don't know what you're thinking, Trevor. <laughs> is it that? Is it that difficult? It is Valerie, that is it this? That? Just picture him as a six-year-old. No, this, this is. Well, last week I was very intentional to ask my wife. When I lead discussions, it's always hard to come up with good questions that aren't one of those where everyone feels really awkward to say anything for fear that I'm. I've got the right answer up in my head, right? I'm supposed to be leading you towards the right answer, and I'm not doing a very good job of that tonight. But I'm I'm intentionally trying to make you think. We'll talk later. Yeah. So we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory, so that would be a good uh, biblical definition of of, uh, sin. Falling short of God's glory, either by omission or commission, we commit or we omit. We can't save ourselves. Okay. We can't save ourselves. I think that's absolutely essential. What about, I mean, this is under the category, remember, it's not just ourselves, it's sin. What about some sort of consequence? And this touches on the character of who God is as well. So we're all sinners and we can't save ourselves. 
destined to die. Okay? So there's a consequence, right? So we would call that eternal death, maybe? Eternal separation, Romans 6.23. So there's this broken relationship between God and man. What does that say about God? That, okay, we have rebelled against him, we can't save ourselves, and there's and he is going to exact revenge upon our rebellion. We don't like thinking about God in that way. But Ephesians 2 says that we are by nature, that is by our sin nature, objects of God's wrath. So that means God has anger, righteous anger, towards sin. So what would we call that? God actually letting his wrath be satisfied by the death of unrepentant people. Punishment? What? Punishment? Yeah, well, yeah. He is exacting punishment. He is the judge, right? Right, and that's a little bit of the phony categories. We learn about God in each of these kind of sections. So what about Jesus? Or I guess before we move on, is there anything else you'd want to add to that whole category of man and their sin? Alright, what about Jesus? Okay. He's sinless. The Son of God. So he's the son of God. So we'll get really... uh, No, I'm not going to... We'll do this. 100% God and 100% man. Rather than the same topic first. Okay. this term with the six-year-old, right? But we do substitution, if I can spell it right again. So he died in our place. Yeah, we got to have that one, right? Anything else? What if we, uh, it's kind of tied in the sinlessness, but uh, perfect life? Okay, 
She said it. <laughs> I'm not saying that all these are my answers. I'm no greater love. No greater love. So this would be another way in which we learn more about God, right? In the person of Jesus Christ, we see love, right? That God, he's the old King James, commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. All right, what about response? This one's easy, right? Because we talked about it. You have all my answers from last week. What is, I mean, this is simple. Repent. And believe, right? If I can spell that one right. Repent and believe. And then what about promise? Eternal life. Eternal life, right? John 3.16. Okay. You guys are a lot more bashful tonight. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit, Comforter, that John talks about. We have a lot of essentials. And I would rather err on the side of caution and have a lot, right? So let's go back through and let's... I'm going to critique you. <laughs> For lack of better terms. I'll try to be nice. Actually, you have everything that I have. I have... I've, I Remember, I've had time to spend over the last week whittling away at this list. So when I initially started my list, it got pretty pretty ridiculous. And then I've just been paring down and paring down. And then I've had conversations with some friends to help whittle that down. So that's why I like this context, because we can help each other refine this thing. So here's what I have. And it's hard to say essential because I've ad- I have I confess I've added some things that aren't absolutely essential. But if I was sharing the gospel to Caden, this is kind of how I would do it. If I did it, God, man, and sin, and so on. To God is... God is our creator. He is sinless. We are his creation. He made us to enjoy a relationship with him. We must obey him. By the way, not all this stuff is like in sixth grade lingo. I'm just thinking concepts, not necessary language. We rebelled against our creator, sin. breaking our relationship with him and we are unable to fix our sin problem on our own. God will judge our sin because he is our holy creator. And the consequence of our sin is eternal death. 
Now on to Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to save us from the eternal consequences of our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. You said that? That we have failed to live and died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, a death that we deserve. It's the idea of substitution. Three days after his death, he rose from the grave, conquering death and sin. Our response should be to confess and turn from our sinful life and wholeheartedly trust in the forgiveness that God promises through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as revealed in God's word. For all who repent and believe, God promises a restored relationship with him both now and forever. So that would be my bare bones, lowest common denominator, explanation of those five buckets. Let me give you kind of the outline version of that. So what I did is I just have God, under that I have Creator, I have Holy. And then I just filled in with explanation. Then under Man and Sin I have Creation, I have Sinful, Judge, and Consequence. Like I've said, I don't necessarily think creation is absolutely essential. Under Jesus, I have love. I have substitute. I have resurrection. Under response, repentance and faith. And under promise, I have eternal life. Notice I don't have any Big words like justification, (coughs) sanctification, regeneration, right? I don't have any of those IONs, those big long words. But I think that that God, man, man and sin, Jesus Christ, response and promise, and I know I keep repeating, 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 but I think those are good five good hooks that you can use in a very practical way as you're thinking for yourself about the gospel and then thinking as you tell others about the gospel. Because one of the things that's so beautiful about it is it gives you the ability to tie it to the entire scope of biblical history. In those five things, you can kind of go from Genesis to Revelation, can't you? And you can tell the the big, big story of God's Word in, in five steps. And I think that's really cool to have that framework from which you can tell a comprehensive um, yet simple story of the gospel to someone. So, question three. So that's question two. I told you I would give you the right answer. What are some things that you have heard added to or omitted from the gospel that pervert its message? What are some things that you have heard added to or omitted from the gospel that pervert its message? So what I'm meaning here is not just something simple or something small and like, oh, we did, we missed including redemption or justification in our little exercise here. What I'm talking about is something that makes it a false gospel or an insufficient gospel to save. Okay. 
that you must be baptized in order to be saved. That's false, right? Um, one of the problems is sometimes people say that you'll be happy and you won't have any more problems. You know, that's not true. Okay. Galatians was written because the Pharisees were adding to the gospel, right? They were saying, well, here's these restrictions, these additional things that you must do in order to be saved. Circumcision, adherence to the law, different ceremonial feasts and and, and things of that sort. Some of the religious... Some of the religious leaders who redefine the Bible. God says, you know, God spoke to me, okay, and He said this. You know, uh, I could enumerate, but I don't know this one. This, okay. And I sell indulgences. If anybody, if anybody's here, this sinner. I do sell indulgences. They really work. The $10 one is sold, but the $50 one really works. <laughs> You're cheap, man. <laughs> what about things that are omitted from from the gospel? What about maybe like a, a preacher who has kind of more on the warm and fuzzy sort of uh, picture of God, that God is all love, He's so gracious, and He's good, and He is, Right. But what are they missing or omitting from the true gospel? What? Judgment. God is a wrathful God, right? God is is jealous for his glory. And it's an acceptable jealousy because God is God. I'm not saying jealousy is essential for our understanding, but there's there's a an omission sometimes of sin. How do you know you need God's grace if you don't recognize that you're a dirty, rotten sinner? That you are, as as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that you are poor in spirit. That you are completely and utterly, the idea there is spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to contribute to your own salvation. You don't know know that you need God's grace if, if that's the case. Or some people remove the idea of repentance. They say, as we mentioned last week, you just believe. And somewhere down the line, you can kind of, well, you can take care of this whole Jesus is your Lord thing at a later time when you get really serious. So there's this state of what would be called a carnal Christian. You can essentially live, there's people that have espoused, well, you, you prayed the prayer, you believe, and you can live as you want to live. That's absolute bad words, right? <laughs> that that's junk. That's not that's not biblical. That's opposed to scripture. What makes the biblical Christian gospel unique? Of all other world religions, of all other denominations, what makes the evangelical gospel, the biblical Christian gospel unique? Something we can do to earn our way there. God reaches down to us. There's nothing. uh, There's no works. Okay. 
So we okay, Jesus rose from the dead. We have a living Savior. We put it that way. If we boil that all down, I mean, we we've heard the the phrase by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? That that's significant. If I boiled it all down, though, I would think I would have to say grace, right? Because grace is the thing that kind of binds it all to. That, that statement of by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that's what binds it all together. It's grace. It's that God has given us a kindness that we do not deserve, right? <laughs> right? Isn't that, the, isn't that what grace is? God gives us a kindness that we do not deserve. And that kindness is, is love, the, bless, the generous blessings in Jesus Christ, but it's grace. Because every other system of, of theology, every other supposed gospel, every other means of being right with God is, is somehow, in some way, formed by works. Like even the Catholics. I think it's oftentimes frustrating when you talk to a Catholic. They use the same language. They use the same terms in lingo, don't they? I mean, I've sat on airplanes and tried had a theological conversation with Catholics before and they use the same lingo. I'm thinking, man, you sound like a Christian. But it's good works are are somehow invested to all that they do and there's some meritorious benefit that those good works have. And we would say, and the Bible would say, no, no, no. It's all of God's grace. Good works have their place, but it's not by earning salvation. It's not by achieving the status of God. It is um, a product of that changed life, which we will talk about next week. So, let me ask you these questions. These are not for you to answer now. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand it? Yeah, of course. Do you understand every implication and ramification and every theological detail? No, no, none of us do. But do you understand this gospel of grace that that you have been saved by? Could you share it with somebody else? Do you believe the gospel? And remember, for you to believe the gospel... Before you ever believe the good news of Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf, you have to be trusting in God and what he has revealed about himself. Do you believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth, who has chosen in his grace to reveal to us this good news? Until you believe that, you will never believe the gospel. Do you believe it? For those of us who have been saved for a while, is your heart amazed, still amazed by God's grace? Or has it grown dull and ungrateful? I mean, I'm 35, I turned 36 in a few weeks. I've been saved, I think, as we talked about last week, when I was six, if that was my salvation date. I've been saved for almost, it'll be almost 30 years. And the gospel is very dull a lot of times to me. The gospel just has become, like, it's just what, it's like just what I, it's, right? It's just, I'm ungrateful. 
I don't, I don't appreciate the grace that God has given me. So where are you at in that? Because this is an amazing, amazing message, isn't it? That the creator of heaven and earth, whom we have rebelled against, would not zap us and fry us for all eternity, but that would extend grace to us to reveal himself to us, to give us another day for breath. That's grace. That is grace. 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 So here's your homework for next week. I know you love when I say that. Your homework for next week is this. Write out, in addition to all the other stuff that you have to do. If you don't even do the other stuff, here's what I would like you to do. Write out how you would simply yet comprehensively share the gospel to a six-year-old. And I would encourage you to use that five-step, the five-hook process that I gave you tonight. God, man, and sin, Jesus, response, and promise. Write out how you would simply yet comprehensively share the gospel to a six-year-old. Then, next week, our lesson next week, if I can remember correctly, does anyone have it? Is it on the bottom of your sheet? Our position in Christ. Yeah, it's on our position in Christ. That's going to be a very interesting discussion. I love, I don't love the curriculum, like the books that you have to do, but I love the topics that it makes us talk about. And uh, next week's going to be a really interesting uh, class, I believe. We're going to be talking about our position in Christ, and it's really going to be much of a topic about the process of sanctification, um, at least for our discussion here. And just to give you a little bit of um, explanation as to this uh, packet, um, there are three articles in here. The first is by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor in Lansing. Um, the next guy, uh, Tullian Chavidian, actually is no longer a pastor. He was uh, was the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church down in Florida. Um, he actually uh, just had to resign for a moral failure. And then, then another response by Kevin DeYoung. Let me give you uh, some, some background. So um, Tullian Chavidian is... Um, he is a proponent of something called free grace theology. Um, I'm not going to get into a ton of detail, but basically he focuses on the motivation for our obedience isn't God saying, obey, do this, don't do this. His sole motivation in doing, in obeying, is our justification. The fact that we are in Christ Jesus, that we are declared righteous. So there's the stat, like we're stat, and our status before God is righteous. We can do no wrong. And, and that, that's essentially in a very limited uh, way. That's his position. Well, Kevin DeYoung comes along and says, hey, make every effort, like Second Peter says, make every effort in your Christian life. And talks about how, yes, this is true. But we have to make an effort. And so there's this back and forth dialogue. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. So the process of sanctification, is it something that is completely and wholly done for us? Or is it something that we we are 
constantly working on and contributing to and making an effort? And what is the motivation behind that? So this will give you a little bit of entrance into some of the theological debate that's going on very presently in in evangelical circles today. This is from this was on the Gospel Coalition. So if you, this is a kind of a big time blog for our sorts of conservative evangelical uh, theologians. So it should be interesting. So all right, let's pray and then you'll be dismissed early. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to talk. Thank you for the time to discuss your gospel. I pray that it would have been a helpful time and a fruitful time for us to critically think about what is essential to understand in order to be saved. I pray that we all would truly be um, saved, that we would truly be converted, that we would have seen uh, the amazing grace that you have given to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and that we would come to you in repentance and faith, knowing that we can't do anything on our own to to make our relationship with you possible. It's only of your doing. It's only you reaching out to us in love, and that is grace. Help us to be appreciative, to be thankful, to be amazed by your grace to us. In your name we pray. Amen.